Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Be with you. Welcome all of you who are worshiping online. My name's Chip Chip for Chip Freed. Yeah, Chip Freed. Chip Fried, uh, I don't know, Chip Fried, I think that's my name. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Garfield Memorial Church. We're so glad you're tuning in with us and glad to be with all of you in person. Uh, our in-person worship keeps creeping back up and there, yeah. there's not one worship's better than another worship. If you're worshiping online, that's not second class worship. It's just good for me to be able to give hugs and see people and look them in the eyes. And, and so we're glad that you're with us and we're here uh, together. Um, we are in a new teaching series uh, called Wisecracks. It's out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is wisdom literature. Wisdom literature in the Bible is Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. Some people include the Psalms, but it's, it's wisdom literature. And uh, as we were praying, we always plan our worship series out about a year in advance. We know from the fall through Baptism Sunday after Easter where we're going. But then sometime, you know, in early spring, we begin to think, okay, what do we want to do in the kind of the gap time after Easter, after Baptism Sunday, leading into the fall, through the summer? And uh, I realized that this is, this is the kind of summer after two years of being stuck, that people want to travel and we're, we're starting to feel a little more freedom and doing things like that. So I was thinking, what's a series we can have that, you know, uh, if you miss a couple weeks, it's not like you fell off the train, you don't want to know what's going on. And what's a book of the Bible I haven't dealt with very much, either here or actually in my life. I've never t- taught a series on the book of Proverbs. I've never done it. But we thought, man, you know, this might be a good idea. And look at these wonderful pearls of wisdom, uh, you know, where you can come in and, and learn that Proverbs speaks on things like relationships and anger and, and uh, handling your money and all kind of wonderful wealth of information. And so I ran by the staff and everybody felt good about it. And I put it down paper and then I, I, I got cold feet. I was like, how in the world am I? We're going to teach on Proverbs for like 10 weeks. Like, I, I, like I'm, I'm not up to it. So I went to my most trusted advisor. I went to Pastor Terry. Yeah. And I bare, bore my heart before. And she was absolutely no help. Yeah. I mean, none. She said to me, ah, you know, Chip, I've never really got much out of Proverbs. I don't know much about it. And I said, get behind me, Satan. Um, you know. <laughs> So I went to the team, you know, I, I come out of team sports and in my corporate arena when I was a CEO, I was building a team and I was always taught, if you have a good team, trust your team. And so I talked to the team about my anxiety and Pastor Kurt, our online pastor, he's gloating right now. In fact, he texted me this morning. He said, I'm glad you found the way. You are not Obi-Wan Kenobi and I'm not Luke Skywalker. Um, but he did. He came and said, no, look, he'd done some doctoral studies in seminary. He'd really leaned up on Proverbs. And he said, Chip, there's so much in there. We got to do this. And being the courageous person I am, I said, great, you kick it off. 
right? And so if you were here, if you were online last week, Pastor Kurt kicked us off in this series. Man, bro, I told him this. He did such an amazing job of setting the table. Now, what I didn't tell you, Kurt, yeah, you can give it up. They're cheering for you, yeah. What I didn't tell you, Pastor, is you're going to preach all of July and August, and I'm going to go be on an island somewhere. So, no, I don't. I'm not kidding. But Kurt will come back in this series, and all of us teaching pastors will look at this work. And I, I realized that Kurt, as I spent time last weekend with traveling and, and dug into the, into the really deep in the book of Proverbs, started doing my intensive study, I realized Pastor Kurt was right. It's a gold mine. Now, you have to dig a little bit. It's like the old guys in the, in the, in the, the gold rushers in the water, right? They have their pans. You've got to let the waters flow over and pan through there. You might have to take a pickaxe a little bit. And, and, and as we dig, which is what you have to do in all the scriptures with the Holy Spirit's help, man, what comes forth is gold. Um, it reminded me of a, a time of my grandmother. And my grandmother was the most wise person I ever knew. Now, she wasn't college educated. She wasn't what the world would call book smart, although she was incredibly smart. Um, I've shared pretty openly, my grandfather went to prison during the Depression on a holdup of a grocery store that went bad. So my grandmother became a single working mother in the 1920s, when that was no badge of honor, right? And uh, I, was, I still remember, I was very young, but I remember people in the community talking about her as a tough old bird. And my grandmother, in spite of all those situations and probably the gossip, thank God they didn't have social media back then. But she directed the choir in her church for 38 years. She loved the Lord. And she would put me on her lap and sing me the hymns of the faith. And there was a time when I was confirmed into Christ church and this big uh, church of 900 people, Methodist church growing up. And I was 12 or 13 years old. And I'm down there, you know, accepting the vows to come in the church. And this was the kind of church where, like, it was the frozen chosen. You ever been to those churches? Like, if anybody says anything, like in worship, like, the ushers come and drag you out and take you to the psychiatric unit, right? Um, but my grandmother got up in the middle of that, and she just walked down the altar. I mean, people are looking like, you don't walk down the altar in this church. And she grabbed my Bible, and she wrote in it, and she put it back, and she patted me on the hand, went back to her seat. And later, when I opened that Bible, I still have it to this day, what she had written was the verse from our scripture today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Now, I read an article not long ago out of a Christian publication, and it said this. It was a question and answer. Question, how long does it take for you to become a Christian? Good question, right? How long does it take for you to become a Christian? And the answer was, in a moment and in a lifetime. It takes a moment, and it takes a lifetime. See, my, what my grandmother was writing to me in that Bible was about the lifetime. Yeah. Don't get caught up in the moment, but remember the lifetime. And see, there are, there are scriptures in the Bible that talk about becoming a Christian, being saved, being, you know, coming into the understanding and awareness of the gospel in a moment. Roman, Romans 10.9 is like that. If you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be, not might be, not someday, not out there somewhere, right now, right here, you will be saved. But Proverbs isn't talking about that moment. Proverbs is talking about the lifetime. 
And Kurt grounded us in wisdom last week. And now chapter 3, we begin to learn how do we grow in wisdom? How do we develop wisdom? How do we get wisdom? And this is kind of beginning the training room. If we're going to be on a training uh, program together in wisdom, this is the beginning of it. And so I want to talk to you about three things. Now, don't get excited. You say, oh, Chip only has three points. Yeah, but the second one has five subpoints. Okay, but three things. One, the path of wisdom. Two, the process of wisdom. And three, the message of the man off the mountain. Okay, so first one, the path of wisdom. Wisdom is a path. Acknowledge the Lord, and he will make your paths straight, right? right? You know, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Do you know path is the most, or pathway is the most used metaphor in the Bible for life? Almost 800 times in the scriptures, it said life is a path or a pathway. God is a lamp unto my feet, right? Uh, a light unto my path, right? It's a path. Why, did, why does the Bible say this? Why is this used as a metaphor? Because what do you do? How do you walk down a path, right? You don't somersault down a path, right? You don't really even leap down a path. If you want to go miles and miles and miles, you're, you're not going to be able to maintain that. You walk down a path, right? It's steady. It's mundane. It's left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And I'm using backwards. Okay, right foot, left foot, right foot. Um, You can't see my feet online. Good. Um, But it is. It's a steady, mundane, routine, disciplined piece. And Proverbs is saying us, wisdom is like that. You don't get wisdom all at once. Wisdom comes from a steadiness, from a, from a, a growing and a learning as we walk down a path and a pathway of turns and a pathway of hills and a pathway of valleys. But just stay on the path. Stay on the path with God. Trust in God. You know, acknowledge God is with you on this journey and you will grow in wisdom. Uh, in my first church, I had a family that adopted me. Terry and I, I came out of the corporate arena, so I didn't know what the heck I was doing in ministry. And I uh, was there, and we had two families that just were, you know, church moms and dads to Terry and I, and they loved us. And one was the Primus family, <clears throat> and there was a man named Dr. J. Primus. He was actually one of the original Tuskegee Airmen. So this guy had knowledge, right? He was one of the wisest people I knew. And he loved me and he adopted me. And I remember one Sunday I was preaching on Ephesians 6, you know. I put on the whole armor of God that you may withstand the wiles of the devil and, you know, be wise and, and stand firm. And all that was true. And I was my little fiery 32-year self or whatever. And I was all this. And a Doc Promise grabbed me after a sermon. He's very complimentary and loved it. And he said, Pastor, let me tell you what I've learned. He said, I've learned that I have to put on that armor every day because there's little battles, little wars. I need to fight inside of me every single day. What wisdom. It wasn't one all-out Armageddon battle for my faith. It was those little battles every day. What? To control my attitude, to deal with my anger, to watch what I say or don't say, to, you know, to how, what is it? Right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right? It's walking down a path. Wise people know this. And so here's, here's the first lesson, Proverbs says, wisdom is a pathway and not a door. Wisdom's a pathway and not a door. Some treat wisdom like a door. Just give me the key. Just tell me the right prayers. Just give me the right routines, right? Uh, give me the little prescription, and I'll unlock the door, and I'll go in, and suddenly I'm wise, And Proverbs laughs at that. 
and says, this, it, it, that's not the way it is. It, it's, it's steadiness. It's, it's hanging in there. It's going down that path, right? It's not getting a secret term. Now, that goes against society, right? It goes against common culture because we want stuff and we want it. Yeah, I want my money and I want it. You've seen the commercial, right? We want everything quick. We want everything fast. But wisdom doesn't come that way. Now, Amazon will sell that to you. Barnes and Noble will. Google self-help on the internet. Man, you'll get three steps to financial healing, 10 steps to a successful marriage, 15 steps to understanding the opposite sex. My wife laughs at that, says I've been married 35 years. I still don't get it, right? Like, you know, but there's, you know, you can buy, download tapes, you can download stuff, but here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not wisdom. It's a technique. See, and we want techniques, but God says you need to get wisdom. In a wisdom, there's no shortcuts. It's walking with God every single day. It's going down that path, okay? It's continuing down that path. Right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. How you doing? How you doing with that? And that's why Paul says we need to walk that, run that race, do that with, with perseverance, with endurance. Okay, so wisdom is a path. The second thing is wisdom is a process. Okay, it's not techniques. I'm going to look at some aspects of the, process, of the process. I'm not saying, you know, uh, fast on Thursday and then, you know, uh, hug your loved ones on Monday. It's not that kind of thing. But it's, it's general things that if we understand them, it may look different in each one of our lives. But I want to talk about five principles I see here of the process. And I think these will ground us as we dig on out through Proverbs and learn in specific areas. Five principles of the process. Um, I'm, I'm just going to name them real quick, and then, and then we'll go to the slide with the first one. The five principles of the process are knowing God, knowing yourself, knowing your friends, knowing God's best pr pr practices as found in the database of Scripture, and knowing troubles in a very comprehensive way. So knowing God, knowing yourself, knowing your friends, knowing best practices, God's, and knowing trouble. Let's go first. One, knowing God. What, G, what, what Proverbs says, you see it up there. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, there were a lot of words for love and faithfulness in the Hebrew, but these two words are only used when they're talking about God. Never used when they're talking about uh, humans. In fact, the, the word for love here in the Hebrew is the word keseth, which means industrial strength, never giving, never quitting, unconditional, absolute love for you from God. And faithfulness is living in accordance with that love. That God is absolutely, ab undeniably committed to you even when you feel he shouldn't be. That God is devoted to you absolutely in complete industrial strength love, even when you yourself feel unlovable. What, what the writer of Proverbs is saying, step one to wisdom is take this knowledge of who God is and how God loves you and how you can God will never fail you and how God will never give up on you, even if you give up on yourself. You take that, bind that around your neck, pound it down into the tablet of your heart, and if you begin to do that, you're going to be ready to venture out in this journey for wisdom. First, you have to have that. So it's baseline, right? And do some things that help you 
establish that. Like today, those of us in worship, this is a way we pound down the love of God in our heart through music, through worship, through prayer, through devotion, through poetry, whatever it helps you, for through nature, uh, through expanding God's word, world, world uh, awesome creation, through memory verses, whatever it takes, continually, every single day, pound this down in your heart. Continually, Because Proverbs says, if you go through this, that wise people, they've got kind of an inner poise. <laughs> my kids laugh when I, I said that. I was on a golf course with my kids. I said, you know, I'm learning that wise people have inner poise. And Perry goes, boy, Dad, you got a lot of work to do. <laughs> like, Mr. Mr. OCD, OCD, OCD type A, right? But it's true. And I got it. I got to pound this down, Right? I got to pound it down because sometimes I feel insecure and so do you and don't lie. And the reason is because we're not pounding that down deep enough into our heart every single day. Here's principle one. You will never find wisdom without pounding the love of God deep down in your heart every single day. Got that? That's one. Two, knowing God. Second thing is knowing yourself, right? What does the scripture say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not... Under your own understanding, I love verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. I know, somebody, that just killed you. Just, oh, quit clapping, because you know that hurts. Um, but, you know, just realize, don't be wise in your own eyes, right? Don't, don't, tr don't, don't, don't trust your own understanding. This is the great paradox of the book of Proverbs. If you read it, you know what Proverbs says? That wise people always understand their own foolishness. That's what it says. Wise people always understand their own foolishness. But watch this. Fools think they are wise. Since you pay me to agitate you, let me put it starkly. If you don't think you're a fool, you're a fool. Ready? If you don't think you're a fool, you're a fool. But here's the good news. If you know when you're foolish, if you know where you've blown it, if you go, gosh, that was such a dumb thing to say, you know, or I, I, I wish I hadn't done it. If you do that, you are barreling down the road toward wisdom. It's through that, that, that you can grow, right? Nothing can really push you faster than getting in touch with who you are and, and to understand that we have to be absolutely, intricately aware of all of our flaws, all of our settled sins, all of our weaknesses, all of our foolishness, okay? We need to do this. And here's principle number two. You're going to hate this, but this is true. We will never gain wisdom uh, without ruthless yet non-traumatic self-examination. This is, this, is, this is, trust me on this. We need to do ruthless self-examination. But watch, it can't be traumatic. Because if it's traumatic, we won't do it. And that's why you have to have that love of God and the absolute acceptance of God rooted deep down in your heart. So when you do this, when I ruthless self-examination, I won't be crushed into dust because I'm always looking for the approval of others. If I need others to tell me I'm beautiful, if I lose my mind because I put on five pounds, if I don't get that promotion or whatever, and I'm valued from the outside, you won't do this ruthless self-examination. You won't because when you do it, you'll get defensive. When you do it, you'll cover up. When you do it, you'll get in denial. When you do it, you'll make excuses. When you're foolish, you'll say things like, well, you know, that was a mitigating circumstance. Or if you had the parents I had, you'd do the same thing. See, you would do that unless, unless you have the chance. But when you have rooted the affirmation and the love of God deep down in your heart, you can look and you can go, wow, Chip, 
Just like Perry said in the golf cart. Wow, Dad. He's right. He's right. I didn't get defensive. Well, I kind of did. But an hour later, I wasn't so defensive. I'm admitting it this morning. If he's watching online, I hate it. Um, But the truth is, you, you can do that. You can begin to look because you're safe. He's with you, right? And that's why Satan always attacks the aspect that you're loved by God. If he did to Jesus, he'll do it to you. When God said to Jesus, you're my beloved, you remember what Satan did? He showed up and said, oh, well, if you are God's beloved, see? Because if he can attack your knowledge of how deeply you are loved and affirmed, he'll know that you'll never do this hard work. And people that are ruining the world are people who do not do this work. Do not do ruthless self-examination. They did a major study of corporations and corporate greed in America, which is, uh, you, you know, I mean, the pandemic destroyed us. Wealthy people, it was like a cash cow, man. They gazillionly tripled their wealth. And they said, what's going on with these companies? You know what psychologists said? They have no self-awareness. They're not, they're not doing ruthless self-examination. If they did, they'd understand that you're ruining the world. Okay? So that's hard work. Know God, know yourself. I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but you guys got nothing to do. We don't have our third service back yet, so get comfortable. Okay. The third one is knowing your friends. Knowing your friends. You say, what does that mean? Well, do you know how it began? My son, do not forget my teaching. See, it's always throughout this, my son, my son, my son. This has led a lot of Hebrew scholars to believe that Proverbs was like a textbook for a boys' school. And I hate that that's so sexist. But you know, back in that day and age of parochial times, only boys could go to school. And so that's why it's my son. But this, this was a teaching manual because here's the deal. Um, you will, why do you need to go to school? Why do you need to put yourself around mentors or teachers? Because you will never find wisdom by yourself, right? You need mentors. You need counselors, right? Uh, the fool is wise in his own eyes. The fool is an individualist. I don't need mentors. And let me tell you, if your internet is your mentor, if your social media, if Facebook news or something is your mentor, Come and see me after service. There's good mentors. Find a mentor you know and you try. How many times? You guys have been around me, some of you, a long time. How many times up here I go, oh, my spiritual mentor said this, or I was taught by so-and-so this, right? Because you don't come to wisdom by yourself. And if you don't have mentors and you don't have counselors and you don't have advisors, find some. If you don't have friends that can help hold you accountable. See, fools talk like this. Oh, I know. You ever been around people like that? Hey, we're, oh, I know. And we all have that tendency, right? It's a way to cover up. I, I've grown out of things. I used to be in like preacher circles or corporate circles of this, and people would say, hey, do you know uh, so-and-so? You know, do you know Jim Brown? I don't know why his name jumped into my mind. I was trying to find an innocuous name, and in Cleveland, I chose Jim Brown. Good work. Um, do you know George Smith? How's that? You know, and, and, and you, you be honest, you've done this. Oh, yeah. You don't know George Smith. You don't even know who he is. And I've disciplined myself now. Hey, do you know George Smith? You know what I'm talking about? I said, no, I've not read his book. What is it? Recommend it to me, right? Like, we, fools say, I know. Wise people say, I need people to help me know. And that's why we push small groups and microchurches so hard here at Garfield Memorial Church. Because we need community. We need people to hold us accountable. We need people to comfort us. We need people to encourage us. Read the New Testament. This is, this is part of the database, right? And, and here's what I've learned, though. 
In 2022, people in Cleveland, Ohio, especially in the suburbs, what we prefer, we don't want a small group, we want a seminar. We want a seminar. We'll pay $300, we'll pay $2,000. We want a seminar where we can go with an expert who will share information, share the truth with us, and the person sitting next to us, we might talk to them, but we don't have to. And we go home. There's nothing wrong with seminar. You go home with some information, right? Um, but that's a technique. That's a key. That's not wisdom. The way you get wisdom is you get involved with people. You go in a small group, and you got to do the messy work. Messy work, man. You got to get to know people. You got to let them get to know you, right? You got to weep with those who weep. You got to rejoice with those who rejoice. And that's how you develop wisdom. Mutual counsel, mutual confrontation, mutual comfort. Here's, here's the principle. You get wisdom through a community. You only get information through a class. You've got to find wisdom in community. Know your friends. If you don't have them, find some will help. Find friends in faith. So knowing God, knowing your friends, uh, know, I'm sorry, knowing yourself, knowing your friends. Fourth one, knowing God's best practices. I'm going to blow through this one. Basically what, what, what the uh, teacher says is, don't forget my teaching and keep my commands in your heart. The word command is the word Torah. It was for God's law. Understand that God has best practices in Scripture. There are things that, that Proverbs is going to tell us to do. Uh, do this and, 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 and you, you'll flourish. He says in here, you know, the world tells you hoard your money. Spend it on your if you read in there. But I say, do you invest your money in the work of the Lord? Uh, what did Jesus say? Give to others, expecting nothing in return. These are ways, and, and you experience new joy and new wealth, and you have wealth in heaven, and you have wealth in your heart. And, and Proverbs is going to tell us these things. Do you notice how many people, especially religious people, look at the Bible, look at the scriptures, and focus on don't? Have you ever thought about that? The oh, Bible says don't do that. The Bible says don't do that. Don't be like that right? Do you know that Jesus, I, I look really hard. I can't find any places Jesus said don't. I'm sure they're in there. Like we're just top of the brain this morning, but I found hundreds of places he said do. Do unto others the way you'd want them to do unto you. Turn the other cheek seeking reconciliation, right? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. He never says don't. In fact, when they go to him and say, hey, should we pay our taxes? He said, ah, don't. No, he says, hey, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God. You know, I got all these government types that tell me, see, Jesus was a good law-abiding citizen. Be careful. <laughs> the government put him to death. Yeah. And, I, you know, he didn't say go pay your taxes. He said just decide what you owe Caesar and what you owe God and give proportionately. Think about that. Always saying do, right? So know God's best practices. Look at God's database. Fifthly, and this is where I'm going to kind of land the plane. You have to know trouble, know it in a, in a comprehensive way. See, up until verse 11, we read 1 through 12. Kyle read for us this morning. If, if you read verses 1 through 10, it's really good stuff. It's like chicken soup for the soul. Like, do this and you'll be healthy. Do this and you'll be gainfully employed. Do this and people will speak well of you, of both God. You'll be in favor of God and people, right? Woo, this is great stuff, right? But you get to 11 and 12, and it says, and as you walk along the path, and when you feel like you are being disciplined, and you're going through trouble, don't get resentful. Don't, don't get stoic and put a stiff up a lip. Understand that trouble is part of the process. Right? Did Jesus say, in this world you will have trials and tribulations, but stay on the path. 
Trust that God is with you. So I begins, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And, you know, all acknowledge God. God is with you, even in the trouble. And as you go through the trouble, watch this. The trouble will push you, if you let it, if you're seeking wisdom and stay on the path, it'll push you deeper into the love of God. It'll put you, push you more into the arms of your loving friends. It'll push you deeper into God's word. And trouble will grow things in you that all the fluffy and wonderful stuff never can. I remember a poem growing up. I don't know why it stuck with me, but it stuck with me. It said, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow. And narrow words said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. See, if we view our trouble in the comprehensive aspect of this understanding God's love and understanding ourselves and understanding, you know, that we have a community of others to mentor us and counsel us and lean into God's world, the trouble will hurt. The trouble will be significant, but it will not overwhelm us. That's why Isaiah said, when you walk through the fire, it will not consume you. When you walk through the waters, you will not drown. For the Lord your God is with you. And if you can do this, trouble might grow wisdom in you faster than anything else. Okay, I got to bring this down. I'm going to take about 10 minutes. I've, I've got seven on the clock, so I'll go three minutes more. I'm a liar. Probably go 10 minutes more. Um, but what, here's, here's, I could stop the message right there. And everybody would go home and say, wow, Chip was dazzling. Well, you wouldn't say that. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. Let me do some ruthless self-examination up here. Okay. Vanity, oh vanity. And I, okay, I, I got that out. You won't say I'm dazzling. You say, Chip was okay. And uh, I got a few things on my phone here. But really, this, this is good. You know, it's like, hey, it's a path. I get it. There's a process. These are five things I can keep in mind. We can end it. But if there's any thinking people in here, and I know you are, and just what I said about trouble, there's a problem. Because what you're going to say to me, and you're going to be right, is say, yeah, there's suffering. Then there's suffering. Now, I don't like to grade suffering, and that's, sometimes we do that to youth, and it's just not fair. I did a teaching at a youth conference once, and I put a 12-ounce you know, glass and a bucket on the table, and I poured water in both till they were full, and I asked the people, which one's more full? Right? So I said, don't judge. Like, when I deal with a little 7-year-old, and she just lost her pet, that's as, that's as crisis to her as if I lose a family member. And I need to understand that. So I don't want to judge things. But in the big picture of things, there's suffering, then there's suffering. You know, there's suffering where, you know, I've counseled people where, you know, we were dating and I thought maybe this was serious and I thought this was going to be the person I was going to marry and they broke up with me. And that's awful and that's terrible and that hurts. But I've also counseled young families where the wife died of a brain aneurysm on the spot and the husband was left with three young children. That's suffering. That's why God, right? And you know those big things. I've, I've counseled with parents whose teenage kids have taken their lives. That's suffering. Where were you, God, right? And see, if, if wisdom is trying to understand reality, then when these things come up that are absolutely unexplainable, that are beyond our thought, then that can overwhelm us. It can devastate us, and it can derail us off the track of wisdom. And that's why I took you to chapter 30. 
to the very end of Proverbs because I think for us to, you know, they say when you learn golf, you should learn from the green to the tee, not backwards. So we're going to go to the end to the putting green, and then we'll come back to the tee and learn as we play. But we need to see at the end that if we don't address this one, because all the wisdom literature addresses it, Job, Proverbs, all of them, why do the innocent suffer? The Psalms? Why, God, I can't, there's stuff I can't even comprehend. And that's why we need the message from the man off the mountain. And, and so let me just look, let me just read again those verses, those first four verses from, from chapter 30. See, Agar, Agar, he was a sage. He was a prophet. He was one of the writers of Proverbs. Proverbs had all these sages, Solomon and others, they're dropping wisdom into this book. And Agar at the end, inspired utterance, given of God. You know, he is, he's saying that, and he comes to this, he says, I'm weary, God, but but I can prevail. Surely I'm only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm looking at these things in life, and I, I don't even, I have no understanding. My farm animals understand this as much as I do. I have not learned wisdom, nor have attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? He's saying, unless somebody comes down from heaven and explains that kind of suffering to me, I'm never going to understand. And then he said, what is his name? And what is the name of his son? That's how Proverbs ends. That's the question. And what, what Agor is saying, he's using all these images of wind and, and, and creation. All the, You know what he's saying? I'm down here in the valley. I'm under the canopy of the trees. I need to get up on the peaks of the mountain where I can see the big picture. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says, there is a man who has come down off the mountain. There is one who has come down from heaven. When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, you remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus is a wise person. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He's a religious leader. And he says, Jesus, you know, you're pretty smart for a young rabbi. Jesus doesn't go, oh, great, I'm glad you get it. And I'm, you know, you know what he says? Look what he says in response to Nicodemus. In chapter 3, he says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. You don't think Nicodemus, an expert in the law, knew Agor's prayer in Proverbs? And Jesus says, I'm the one that has come down. And he's come down, watch, if he continues on. He said, I'm the one come from him. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus reminds him, I'm going to be lifted up. He's speaking of the crucifixion. He's speaking of the cross. And what, what is his message from the man on the mountain? Does he give every intricate detail? Does he go through the molecular structure of suffering? No, he says, but look, I came to suffer with you. There was a woman who her, her mom was brutally beaten by her boyfriend uh, who was supposed to be her fiance when the child was six years old. She discovered the body. She saw the blood. She was never right until finally when she was studying the gospel and she was studying the crucifixion of Jesus. And she said, all the preachers say that Jesus died for us. But now I understand Jesus died with us. He suffered with us. He was beaten just like my mama. He was uh, rejected just like uh, other people have rejected. And Jesus said, I have come down 
to enter into that question. I am going to die the worst death possible. I am going to be suffer brutality in ways that, that humans don't understand. I am going to be the victim of government oppression and, and violence. I am going to be the victim of a corrupt court giving a bad uh, you know, testimony. It says that they brought false witnesses. I'm going to bear all this. I'm going to take all this so that one day I can come back and I can end all evil. I can end all injustice. I can end all suffering. That won't have to end you. And me, because all of us are foolish. And that's in us. And let me say this to you, friends. All that stuff I shared with you is right and is true. But when we get to the place where the, where the road ends, and the things we cannot understand, unless we take the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the message from the man on the mount, off the mountain. He's not on the mountain. He's off the mountain. Jesus could have been king of the mountain, but he wanted to be king of the world. And he came down to push us up with the message of the cross and resurrection. If you don't pull that in your heart, it's never going to work. And we might get some information, but we'll never be wise. And Jesus comes to give us wisdom. What does, he, what does Paul say? Paul, who thought he knew everything, and then he understood. He said, the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. I love that. You know, you can be saved all at once, but change takes a while. How many of you know, Paul said, I'm working out my salvation in fear and trembling. Those of us who are being saved, this message of the cross is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. In other words, Jesus says, I'm going to come to give wisdom that the wisdom of the world just simply can never bring to you, can never give to you. It's the message of the cross and the resurrection. And hold them deep within your heart. Now I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'm going to beg you to give me a few more minutes. I'm going to close with an illustration of myself. And then we'll, uh, and then we'll kick it um, to our next place. But let's pray together. God, you said if we are looking for wisdom, we should ask. So we're asking. God, don't make us rich. Don't make us, you know, wise, healthy. Don't make us smart. Make us wise. Give us your wisdom. Help us to drill down the message of your love. Help us to run into the arms of others who will love us and hold us accountable. Help us to look deep within ourselves knowing that we're safe. Helping to lean on your word, your database. And help us that when we experience trouble to know you're with us. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me, let me say to you, I just want to be a little confessional if you give me a minute. This, everything I just preached to you happened to me. Happened to me this week. So don't think I'm not drinking of the same cup I'm offering. Last weekend, with the horror of what happened, on Saturday, when I began to understand the events in Buffalo, New York, and, and subsequently the reasons for them, I went hollow. I just, I just went hollow. I, I, I hardly can take these stories anymore. And people say to me, well, you know these people are mentally ill. Yeah, I've worked with mentally ill people all my life. Guess what? They don't all repeat all the same words and the same sentences, and the same issues all over the world. There's an orchestrated effort. Sure, people disturbed, yeah, but they're pawns and they're being used and they're being indoctrinated, and it's hate. And then I subsequently learned about Houston and Laguna Hills. Houston was an act of hate toward the Asian American community. And I don't know if you know this, in the last five years, Asian American hate has increased by 300%. 
hate crimes against Asians. It doesn't get the attention, and that's why I was one of Mosaic's pastors, 700, that signed a manifesto that we will stand up against Asian hate. And I don't know if you'll join me in Florida, but we're going to be at the Asian Festival today sowing seeds of love. Okay, and so that was an act of hate. And then the Laguna Hills was kind of a spillover of Chinese and Taiwanese hate. Do you ever notice the word that ties all those events together is hate? But after Buffalo and after the manifesto came out and after, you know, again, this, this racist horror that continues to go, um, I got really, really hollow. I got to tell you, friends, I'm just telling you, some of you know my wife's African-American. She's my best friend. Uh, we've been together so long. I'm, I'm getting a little tired of watching her eyes fill with tears. I'm just getting a little tired. Tears of grief, tears of anger, and frankly, and you know my wife, you guys, many of you love her. She loves you. She's wondering whether or not she can possibly be safe. And I'm wondering, as her husband, can I keep her safe? Right? And it's breaking my heart. It just hollowed me out. And I'm glad, Kurt, thank you. I was putting up a good face earlier. See, I said my prayer, and now I'm being real. And I, I was glad Kurt was preaching, because I, I don't know what I'd done. I got up in the pub last week and just cried, you know, for like 30 minutes. I, I don't know. And so I was feeling so hurt, and I was feeling so frustrated. And I, you know, and I was getting myself back together a little bit as much as I could, but I was just carrying this stuff, you know, God, why? You know, it's, oh, I'm in that, why? Agur, give me, I don't know why, I don't get it, I don't understand it, right? Over 300, 400 years of hatred, what's it going to take, God? Come on down, come on down, God, get off the mountain, come on down. And then I remembered, um, I had to be at kids club on Wednesday, why? Well, I didn't have to be, I wouldn't do anything, but I had to be. Because if you know anything about our kids' club ministry in South Euclid, it's amazing. Yeah. Man, it's years and years. We've got kids, you know, a lot of them are low-income and other situations coming in. They, they, that, that's their safe haven on Wednesday. You'll have 90 youth, upper elementary, junior high, senior high. And it, it's, it's organized chaos in the name of Jesus. It is so fun. I need to go more often. And I hadn't been for a while. And I went Wednesday because what happened was, you know, we do baptism Sundays after Easter, right? And we had a wonderful baptism service here after Easter. Amen. Wasn't that amazing? Wonderful. Beautiful. And so Pastor Scott and Pastor Steve, they put out the invitation at South Euclid. Hey, does anybody want to be baptized? We've got baptism Sunday. It was going to be, I think, the 15th. And nobody on Sunday morning responded. But guess what? On Wednesday, seven youth responded and wanted to be baptized. Seven <laughs> And so Scott and I were talking. He said, what do I do? Should I bring them on Sunday morning? I said, heck no, that's not their church. Wednesday's their church. In fact, I had a denominational official that came to me a few years ago, and he was watching a kids club and everything. You know what he said to me? He said, pastor, how many of these kids come to your church? And I said, all of them. See, if we don't change our metrics, if COVID hasn't taught us anything, if church for you is just a big meeting on Sunday morning, then you've turned it into a technique. But Wednesday, that's your church. I said, so you know what we did? We said, we're going to have our first baptism Wednesday. Yeah. And we put out the baptismal pool. Yeah. We're going to baptize these kids. Oh, it gets better. It gets better. It gets better. You see, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a stubborn one. The, what, did, what did Yoda say? The force runs strong with him. It's dangerous, right? But... Um, you know, we're getting there. So I go over there. So my wife says to me, hey, we got to go over there. The kids are me back. Yeah, we get over there. And I, Scott's in there, and I go in, and all these kids. It's so many. Oh, man, it's wall-to-wall -wall kids. so beautiful. And then Scott says to me, he says, well, you know what? Seven kids signed up, but we're down to one. <laughs> and I said, well, that's okay. 
The Bible says, you know, if one person turns, the angels stop heaven. This is amazing. But it was such a beautiful story because some of the parents, they don't go to church anywhere, but their kids, and, and you know, we're not baptizing kids without talking to their parents. And, and so when Scott talked to the parents, said, hey, your son or daughter want to be baptized, whatever, you know what? These parents are so moved. They said, well, we want to be there. And these are working, hardworking, poor folk or whatever. And, and so they can't be there at 4 o'clock on Wednesday. So, so Scott, I said, Scott, tell, tell them we'll do it at 10 o'clock at night. Tell them we'll, we'll do it at 5 in the morning. Tell them I'll do it on Saturday. I don't care. What, whatever will facilitate. So we're going to be facilitating more baptisms with families in that community. It's just such a beautiful thing. But we're down to one. And, we, and he said some, you know, couldn't show. And one got cold feet. But there was this young, young boy, Logan. Um, now let me say to you, so the youth at Kids Club are 99 percent, 99.9% .9 African American. There's like three young white kids and they're in the neighborhood. They're all their friends and their family. Well, Logan happened to be one of the white kids and Logan wants to be baptized. And he's determined to be baptized. And we've, at the end of kids club, we filled the sanctuary. Do you know we had more youth in that sanctuary for baptism Wednesday than we had people on Easter Sunday? Here comes Logan, and Logan comes down. He takes off his socks and shoes, and he, he's ready to go. He's got a heck of a jump shot, by the way, but I digress. But Logan, um, he comes down. I think he's seventh or eighth grade, and, and Scott begins to talk to him and ask, why do you want to be baptized? And Logan said, I know I need God in my life, and, and you know, life is hard, and I need God, and I want Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, I'm up there like, what is happening? And then Scott begins, he tells the vows, but he doesn't do it in adult language. He does it in the kid's language. And, you know, uh, Logan, do you think you're not going to make any mistakes anymore? And Logan goes, yeah, I'm probably going to make some mistakes. But do you know Jesus will be with you? Now? Yeah, I do. And, and Logan, you know the bad stuff in the world, you know, poverty, racism. Are you going to fight against that? Because if you follow Jesus, you've got to fight, man. You've got to fight against He said, yeah, I'll fight against it. And are you going to have a heart for people who are down, the people who are bullied, the people that may not have something? You're going to have a heart for them as Jesus? Yeah, I will. And I'm going like, what is happening, man? <laughs> And then Logan, and Scott says to the, to the group, man, he says, hey, if anybody wants to come down, come on down. 80 kids rushed the baptism pool. No, I'm telling you, they rushed the pool. They're putting their hands in the water. And Scott's going like, oh, stay by. So I said, oh, heck with it. You know, and it's just a crowd. And they're in there. And these are all young black youth with their cameras up. And go, Logan. We love you, Logan. Yeah, Logan, you know. And they're cheering on. And they put Logan down in the water. And he came up. You would have thought LeBron came back and won the championship again. And that's when the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, do you see it? The cross and the resurrection. One young youth happened to be white, indoctrinated into hate, radicalized on the internet, used as a pawn for racist fools that seek to bring destruction in the world. Went out and hunted black people to kill them. One young white teenager here, indoctrinated with love, who just knows that he's with his familia, and his familia knows they're with him. And as soon as he goes down in the water, eruption of cheers and emotions and gratitude and love. Friends, I didn't turn the, the faucets off for three days. And so I want you to take a look at it now and understand this is what happens even in the midst of the horror, when we put the cross and the resurrection deep in our hearts. Take a look.
Optimism Wednesday. Pretty cool, pretty awesome. We got snow cones, we got basketball, we got foosball, we got video games, and we got baptisms. And that's the best thing of all. Today is Baptism Wednesday. This is, this is, I believe, this is the first time in the history of Garfield Memorial Church where we've done Baptism Wednesday. We've done a lot of Baptism Sundays. Uh, but Kids Club, even if you don't realize it, some of you realize this, some of you don't, but this is church. Um, even when you're playing basketball, it's church. You know, anything you do for God is worship. It's like your parents' special dishes they only use on special occasions. Something like that. It's just a special thing. Logan, I, w- I would like you to tell folks here why you're getting baptized. Because I need God in my life. Yo! When I was in the stop, stop. Uh, Hold on, hold on. Go again, man. I was younger. That's why I want to get baptized. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yes. To say I am, I am done being in charge of my own life. Jesus is going to be in charge of my life now. Are you ready? Yes. Are you ready to say I know there's bad stuff out there in the world, and I'm going to join with Jesus working against it. Things like hate and racism and and, and violence and stuff like that. You're going to join with Jesus and work against that stuff. You ready? Are you ready to stand on the side of folks that are kind of poor and oppressed and stomped on and kicked around and you're going to stand beside them and lift them up and love them in the name of Jesus? You ready to do that? Are you going to be perfect and never make any mistakes ever again? Don't say no or don't say yes. That's right, you're not. But when you make a mistake, are you going to tell Jesus about it and just say, man, I blew it, forgive me again? You ready to do that? All right. Then are you ready to be baptized? All right, all right. Logan Thomas, Pastor Stephen, and I at Garfield Memorial Church, we baptize you in the name of the Father. (laughs) 